Hey, it's Isaiah, and you're listening to episode five of I Guess We'll Do It That Way. Today, we're going to be talking about a movie we produced called Never Going Back. It was picked up by A24 at Sundance, and it should be in a theater near you soon. I Guess We'll Do It That Way is presented by Mama Bear Studios. Mama Bear's mission is to create entertaining works of art that explore humanity. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. All right, here's episode five. Yo, 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 what's going on, Zach? What up, Johnny Bear? My sweet, sweet, sweet Johnny Bear. How we doing? Dude, I'm great. It's fun day Sunday. Is it a fun day for you or just a Sunday? We had, uh, the boys had vacation Bible school all Ooh, this past week, so. I love it. Today at church, it was the, um, we go to church and the boys had to perform. Mm. You ever what have was to, the performance? Uh, you know, they sing a song that somebody, <laughs> not just somebody, your very own brother. <gasps> Whoa. Your brother That's made a song. exciting. How was the song? Let's give it a rating. Uh, from a zero to ten. Well, let, let's put it in context, the church context. I would give it a solid nine. It was good. Wow. Okay. Compare it to no context, no caveats, straight up. It's uh that's almost impossible to do, but I'll give him... I guess him, that's very true. I'll give him uh, between a six and a seven. Very nice. Okay. Well, it was I'm a good impressed. song. He's... The kids liked it. Good. I mean, you're playing to an audience. It's hard to pull mm-hmm. something that dramatically out of context, but it's for kids. Mm-hmm. The kids loved it. They're singing along, et cetera, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man. It, you know, good. It, it served Excellent. its purpose. Excellent. What's that's going great. on in California? Dude, this is, uh, this is a big deal. This is episode five. John, what? you... Didn't know you had no, you did not think we would make it to episode five. I'm calling you out on that. It's episode five. I can't believe it. it. I'm eating crow right now. Good. How's it taste? Like chicken? Not really. It's a lot like mm. crow. It's not <laughs> the first time I've had it. A little, uh, a little saltier. It's a little gamey. Mm, kind of like a, kind of like a peacock. I saw peacocks. We were at the Arboretum in a, a little town east of Pasadena called Arcadia. One of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Or this arboretum, the Los Angeles County Arboretum, huge. I mean, just, just absolutely ginormous. But there's peacocks everywhere, and these peacocks have like six foot long, crazy plumes, and they're really beautiful. But I just couldn't help but wonder what one of them tastes like. You know, would it kind of be like eating a turkey? Because they're about turkey size. You know, would it be like eating a turkey? Would it be gross? Is there a reason we don't eat peacocks other than that they're pretty? I don't know. I kind of want to find out, though. There are a ton of peacocks. They kind of let them run free at the Chattanooga Zoo. Oh, do they? It's very bizarre. The first time I went there, you walk across, you know, you're walking across a bridge to get somewhere. Right. and, And you'll hear a squawk. And you'll turn around, and in a tree, completely unfenced in, is a peacock. Mm. It's kind of bizarre. It feels very slapdash. Well, they're large birds. They're huge, and they're they're territorial. Yeah, they, they make some funny noises. I'm going to try a peacock noise. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that. That's pretty good. It's kind of dinosaur-ish. What do you think the chances are that somebody in Tennessee, the state I'm in right now, has eaten a peacock in the last six months. 99%. You think it's that high? Wow. <laughs> wow. In the last it's... six months? No, I don't, know. I don't know about that. In the last 10 years, 99%. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. There's got to be some crazy redneck 
who farms peacocks because he likes the taste. Definitely. If there's and a he market, eats peacock eggs on his toast every morning. Ooh, have you ever seen a peacock egg? No, I bet it's big. I bet you they're huge. Those big, I like, bet they're tasty. Have you ever seen an ostrich egg? It's kind of disgusting. Oh, dude. Oh, absolutely. Have you seen Atlanta season two? I haven't seen any of it. Oh my gosh! But I've Atlanta been there. is incredible. But there, <laughs> hot Atlanta. Oh baby. Well, um, first things first. We should uh, we should get. Speaking of eating crow, we did such a good job hyping our Ace in the Hole episode, and I feel like we need to just be honest with people with uh, with with what happened. John, would you like to uh, to confess to our audience why they're not listening to an episode about Ace in the Hole right now? Uh, <laughs> we did. We did record one. We did. We did record it. We did indeed. And that that lost episode that will one day be in the Smithsonian should mm. be called "Ass in the Hole." I, I think it was a fine episode, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I think we both walked away from it thinking that we were a little bored because it's a movie that very few people, if anyone on this who are listening to this podcast, have seen, and we were a little bored and. I'll be honest, I bet about 80% of the people who are still with us at this point are just looking for a reason to stop listening. That, They're that, just begging us to give them a reason to stop listening. And guess what? You ain't gonna get it. Not getting it. You're not gonna get it. Is he still alive, Kirk Douglas? I think he is. Yeah, well, hey, Kirk, you're not gonna ruin this podcast, buddy. He tried, he, he, he tried his best. I know that people are listening, because you know what? I'm getting crazy texts. My text, Me too. My text jump has gone from two every other month to like six <laughs> i'm getting blown up baby i'm getting yeah, straight man. up blown up john would you like to read some of those i oh they're so so inappropriate for air uh but <laughs> it's just so sentimental i will say if you happen to be um interested in the newspaper industry just as a lark you should watch ace in the hole because the opening scene where Kirk, are we doing an, I'm accidentally rekindling this, but I love it. The opening scene where Kirk Douglas walks in and talks his way into getting a job. It is shocking to say the least, the way he goes about it. And if you're at all interested, you should go watch that. And then text me, just me, not say, and tell me what you think. John, I'm still there. (laughs) I bored Zay out of the room. Are you trapped in a well? I'm can you hear me? I'm still here. I was uh, making myself some coffee. Ooh, a little, a little pick me up, John. I, uh, I, I like that we did get a little mini Ace in the Hole episode in. That mm-hmm. is a very good thing. So let's preview next week a little bit. Next week we are going. We, I am committed. I am committed to talking about movies other than this movie. And next week we are going to be talking about a movie that a lot of people have seen. Mission Impossible, the new Mission Impossible, and we are going to have Uncle Nate, Nate Drexler of Episode 2 fame oh, baby. on the show, because he is, hands down, far and away, no questions asked, the biggest Tom Cruise fan on the planet. That hasn't always been the case. It used to be Nicole Kidman, now it's Nate. Yes. Oh, it's for sure not Nicole Kidman anymore. Not anymore. She loves Jimmy Fallon now. She's got a big crush on him. Really? No, I'm just kidding. Did you ever see that episode, though? That's one of the best episodes of The Tonight Show I've seen. It's Nicole Kidman comes on, and Jimmy Fallon finds out on air that she had a crush on him and, like, came over to his house and, like, wanted to date him, and he didn't know it at the time and blew it. What? Yeah. 
and this he you can tell this is the first time he's hearing this on i mean unless he's just acting the crap out of it i really do think it was like kind of a shocking moment because you see on his face like holy shit i could have dated nicole kibben and i blew it look at her now i know look at him now he's probably making a solid 15 mil a year he's making so much money he's got some cute kids i see mr fallon i saw him once when he was on snl walking down the street in new york and I saw him again just a few years ago while he was mm. doing The Tonight Show, walking around in the village. Yeah, I wonder where he lives. You know, it's like a one bedroom, pays three grand. Mm-hmm. In Inwood, he's thinking about moving down to Manhattan <laughs> eventually. <laughs> he's up in uh, he's up in Yonkers. Yonkers, yeah. He's going to make his way down to the city eventually. Well, let's jump into the episode. This episode is going to be a little... Uh, we're, gonna, we're not really going to talk about rollers a whole lot. We're going to talk what? about a different project called Never Going Back. Which is a, a movie that um, we, we produced, I executive produced um, last year, and it was at Sundance in the spring, and it's in theaters as we speak. I just saw it at Arclight Hollywood, big fancy theater in Hollywood uh, on Friday night, and it was a hoot and a half. I mean, that wasn't the first time I'd seen it, but it was very fun seeing it in that theater. But this was the first time the general public has seen it, question mark? Other than festivals, yes. Right. And what was the crowd like? Describe the scene to us. Well, I, I guess I should set up the movie a little bit. Basically, it's about these two two high school girls. It's written and directed by Augustine Frizzell, who is the uh, a great up-and-coming director who, <clears throat> I mean, sure, her career is freaking nuts. I actually talked to her the other day, and she wants to come on the show. So we're going to have her on soon. But in the meantime, she wrote and directed uh, Never Going Back. It's about two high school girls who are kind of living on their own. And, you know, they're dropped out of school. Their parents are kind of out of the picture, and they're on a mission to escape their shitty lives working at a diner and get to Galveston. They live in Dallas. They want to get to Galveston, which is basically the nearest beach. And um, everything's going wrong. And it's really funny. It's got Maya Mitchell, who is very famous from a show called The Fosters, which a lot of younger folk have seen. It's been on for like eight years. And uh, Cammie Marone, who has um, – she was in a Bruce Willis movie, Death Wish, and she's a, a pretty famous model – but she's so funny. She's super, super good. Anyway, it's really just kind of a stoner comedy about these two girls, and it's loosely based on Augustine's life. That's sick, though. And the director, little known fact, is the daughter of the teacher from Magic Schoolhouse. What's the name of that show? <laughs> from the Magic School Bus. <laughs> she's the daughter. Oh, of the, oh, oh. Uh, she's the daughter. Mrs. Frizzle. Of Mrs. Frizzle. <laughs> Frizzle. She had you a know change who of she's actually. You know who she's the, I believe, granddaughter of is Lefty Frizzell, who's a very, very famous country musician. Lefty Frizzell. I mean, you'd have to be with a name like that. I know. He's a big deal. You're either a um, baseball, a pro baseball player, left-handed baseball player, just knocks it out of the park every time at bat, or mm-hmm. a country music singer. And also, this is fun. I'm going to put a link to the show notes. I was listening to the soundtrack today. The soundtrack is really good, actually. I think it's amazing. Give us some names. And, and you it? can listen to that. It's mostly original. That's what makes it so great. Oh, cool. You know, it's not just like a score. It's like cool songs that were written for the movie. And this is I'm going to actually – well, actually, so I'm – of course, I'm messing this up because I didn't actually play it for you. But when I edit the episode, I'm going to open the episode with a song from Never Going Back, and I'm going to close the episode with a different song from Never Going Back. Sarah Jaffe is is one of the main – composers as, as well as a couple other people it's it's really top-notch but yeah anyway it was uh the screening was great man it was really fun to see it it's funny how every time you see it 
with an audience, it's different, you know, especially comedies because you kind of feed off of each other. Right. And so there's always this fear a little bit, I think, when you're seeing it at a festival because at festivals, everyone kind of wants to love the movie. And sure. there's, a lot, there's a lot of energy, you know. And so then the real question is, will this thing survive out in the world, you know, once people are once people are a little more skeptical and I think it, I think it played awesome. Um, it's one of those things where the fact that I still enjoy watching it, I think says a lot cause it's very funny, but it's got a big heart to it, which is great. Go see it. Also go see it. Yeah. Right now it's only in New York and LA probably for another week. Oh, great. <laughs> I know. Super helpful. I bet so many people on this listening to the show are going to just rush out and not see it. Uh, but it will be expanding. It's coming to more theaters soon. I don't have the exact list, but as soon as I do, it will be, you know, on my Instagram and, and other stuff. So, um, Did it's pe- going to be fun. I mean, I think it could, could end up in, in most cities. I, I hope it'll be at Chattanooga soon. Um, we get all the cities like that. that, Yeah, exactly. I hope it's in the cities that don't get all the big flicks. That would be amazing. So when you guys take this to a festival, you're competing in a way against all the other, not just for awards, but also to get picked up. Right. Yeah. So basically when you go to these festivals, it's almost like a big meat market, you know? Yeah. So is there all these distributors looking to buy stuff and and bring something home to carve it up and sell it to their audience? Yeah. So is there ever any like petty backstabby stuff like people going to other directors movies and booing or snoring loudly? (laughs) It would be so tempting. I mean, if I had a movie, if I had a movie and I wanted it to do well, I'd be sitting in the audience going nuts, clapping at the Mm -hmm. end, you know, boosting. I think people just see through it though okay so they can just you tell know? that the movie i made about cats is terrible yeah like like i've always told i whenever i've had people come to like festival screenings you know and i'm kind of the one that invited them i usually am like i mean for the most part it's people that kind of know how it works but it, yeah it's, i think it's a little awkward when like you know the your company's logo pops up or your name pops up and people cheer too loud right because then it's like oh they're friends and family you know and you just don't want to you don't want people to think to write off a good response because they think it's a friends and family audience. So I like to play it cool as for sabotage. I don't know. I think the the most likely type of sabotage that probably happens a lot is just the competition for who is at what screening. And so it is a huge deal when and where you screen at festivals because, okay, a lot of festivals, and I'll, I'll use Sundance specifically, sort of unofficially start on a Thursday night. People start rolling in. <clears throat> Friday is kind of usually the first big-time official day where the first screenings are and everything's happening. But Friday can be a tricky day to screen because everyone's still on planes. Sometimes they're delayed, and so some distributor that was supposed to be there might miss it, and then you miss your opportunity. And also... There's something about kind of the, well, you can't really compete with the unknown. And so if a distributor is going there thinking, I'm going to see 50 movies and I'm only going to buy one or two, and you're the very first one they see, then they're going to be thinking, yeah, no matter how good it is, there might be something better. Yeah, totally. And so I think there's an advantage maybe to going a little later so originally our screening and this is all some backs backdoor stuff that honestly i'm not even really 
I am not even known enough yet to really do a lot of this kind of wheeling and dealing, but like, thankfully the people who have been involved with the projects and usually sales agents are really the ones who do a lot of this sales agents are kind of the people whose job it is to sell the movie at the festival. Um, they, they, if they have good connections, then they're going to be trying to position the movie at the best screening time. And there's no best, best, yeah, but who sets the, who sets the agenda? Well, the, the people at the festivals and so the programming directors and things like that. And so, but there's a big thing because like, if your screening, if your premiere is opposite is, is happening at the same time as some really, really high profile movie, you're bound. Every single distributor is going to be at that screening. Right. And so they are not going to be at your screening, which right. is a big problem. Right. So Davion, I can't, you know, Davion was on a Friday, which was great. Cause we had like a huge turnout, you know, obviously it was sold out and it was a big theater and it was great. Davion was the one that we had at Sundance in 2017 which was a year and a half ago now. Um, never going back. The screening time changed kind of last minute, but for the better. And um, if I remember correctly, our premiere was on Saturday night at 1130, and, which is actually great because it's on the late side. But, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of other stuff going on. And then we had a, another screening, I believe, on Sunday or Monday in the – morning slash kind of early afternoon and so it was a nice combo because the first screening was great some people didn't make it but we got a lot of good buzz and then the second screening was actually an even bigger one the first screening though very fun was at a a really cool old theater called the egyptian which is kind of like the classic sundance theater you know it's right on main street it's in park city you know everyone has screened a movie there like tarantino probably screened reservoir dogs there and like wes anderson probably had bottle rocket there so it's like really historic cool kind of indie theater so that was a blast but you know there's those screenings which are which are crazy and then there's all these other festivals and the movies already got some buzz like at south by because it also played south by southwest that was that was a lot of fun but then yeah, once it's out in theaters, it's like, I don't know, these people are just going because someone told them to go see it. Who knows how they're going to react? So thankfully, it was great. Really good energy. People people seem to love it. That sounds awesome. When I do, uh, when I finally write the, my Cats 2 screenplay, mm-hmm. which the, the tagline is, it's a yarn. Oh. Cats 2. I, <laughs> it's a yarn. <laughs> when I write it and I take it to Sundance, I'm going uh-huh. to sit at your movie or whoever else's movie is premiering opposite mm. mine and just boo my whole way through it. <laughs> and then they're going to be like, oh, that's that guy who made Cats 2. It's a yarn. F his movie. Yeah, but they're going to love and it. Then, they're going to see how passionate I am and then about be like, Cats That guy's too. got spirit. Exactly. That guy's got spunk. He's got yeah, the you're fighting right. cat okay, spirit, baby. Back. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, it's going to work. It's going to work. Oh, another fun fact. Greta Zazula is the DP uh, so she's like, you know, DP is basically director of photography. Their whole job is just like the camera and the lights and everything that happens relating to that. So it's a big, you know, it's a big job. She did Never Going Back. She was the very, very first person who officially attached to rollers. So she's going to oh, be shooting rollers uh, as well. Really? Um, so whoa, whoa, great. casting yeah. update, casting update. Is mm-hmm. this fall under casting? What do you mean? In the sense that is this the casting director's job to hire her or did you as a producer? Oh, no, 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 hire no. Her? Yeah, no, this is just me totally independently. Yeah, Greta has actually been involved since February. So we we've already hung out a few times and talked about vision and watched movies and you know, we've been going back and forth for 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 a long time. So I don't trust almost anybody to talk about vision with me. 
except mm. my ophthalmologist. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Greta. <laughs> this that word is being thrown around so so flippantly. Like people are getting so esoteric with this, like talking about their third eye and like projecting their vision. In you know, it's nuts to me. Oh my gosh! Is that what, you, is that what you're doing? Don't do that. You, you've gotten just, extremely Hollywood on us. Say, oh boy! All right, let me try that again. I'm gonna. Okay, so Greta, uh, who actually is the director of photography for Never Going Back actually is attached to rollers to be the director of photography and it's been really fun because you know we've already been able to hang out she she started reading the script back in february and um you know we've been talking about our vision oh i messed oh, it up boy. Shit. all right uh, uh yeah greg she's gonna shoot the movie that's all that's sick and with an old-timey yeah. name like greta you know she's gotta be good well she's 96 Ooh. So yeah. you guys probably can't, actually were discussing her vision. Yeah, no, because her vision is so bad that Got she it. actually has to rely on other people to tell her what she's seeing. Yeah. How? It's kind of a different approach, but I think that's part of the reason I like it is because it's uh, it's it's pretty unique. It's different. It's very hazy. Um, there are probably not that many female DPs, right? Mm, relative to the number of dude VP, DPs, yeah, I think it's definitely a minority. Did she go um, to film school? There are some positions that I think are – that's a good question. I assume she did, but I don't know. I'll find out. But, yeah, it, uh, there are some positions that I think there is a more healthy representation of women because traditionally it was just easier, you know, way back in the day, which all of this kind of goes way back um, to, you know, just norms that were set many, many years ago. You know, editors – Women used to edit lots of movies even yeah. before they were getting hired to do anything else. Casting has often been a role that uh, traditionally women have been able to do. It takes a delicate um, hand. Well, <laughs> that is so easily construed as misogynist, but I'll also accept it as a compliment so on behalf of the female. Well, there are population. a lot of female editors. Like famously, Tarantino, the chick that edited all, well, it's a lady who direct, uh, edited all of his movies, right? Mm -hmm. What's her name? I can't remember. Why don't you look it up? Um, type, type, type. I know lots of people. Yeah, there have been a lot of very, very well-known female editors going back to even the old, 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 old days of studio world. And I don't know what the exact history of that is. I'm sure maybe there was a reason. But um, DPs, yeah, that's that's a newer... It, it, it's only in probably the last few decades maybe that that began to, to change. And I think as a result, yeah, there's probably fewer female DPs than males. Same with directors. I mean, it, it, it's changing now, but, you know, those are – it takes a long time to work your way up through the various kind of levels of, of things and get to the point where you're heading up a department. And so it takes a long time to really see change at those levels, unfortunately. I mean, it should happen a lot quicker, but anyway. Well, the lady who edited um, most of Tarantino's films is Sally Menke, who mm. died in 2010. Oh, that's so sad. We'd also be remiss uh, if we didn't mention the, the most famous female DP, director-producer, all the way from Nazi Germany, Lenny Riefenstahl. Mm. You ever heard of her? No, I don't know her. Oh, baby. I mean, I should. I'm, I feel like you I'm should. showing how little I know about everything at this point. She made propaganda movies for Hitler at the beginning, the lead up to World War II. How egalitarian of him. <laughs> there, yeah, exactly. Well, she Hitler's had, not such a bad guy. 
he was he was inclusive of ladies. Let's give him a second chance. But these mo- it's it's a you know kind of like the Nazi human experiments, right? Where they they mm. tested stuff on humans, prisoners of war. Mm. Um, and the big ethical debate is: Can we use the knowledge gained through human experimentation? Right. So there's some really useful stuff that they wow. learned, hmm. like for instance, you know, at what temperature does human flesh freeze? Well, now wow. we now we know for certain because they took a guy out of Auschwitz and froze him outside until his arm fell off or whatever terrible, wow. you know, horrible experiments they were doing. So now we have all this information, and it's like. Can we use it? What an interesting dilemma. Right. So Lenny Riefenstahl made these dramatic and sort of groundbreaking propaganda films. The one that everyone should look up is Triumph of the Will. Oh, I've heard of that. Okay. Yeah, they're considered great films, but they're, you know, it's Nazi propaganda. So people are sort of stuck in this weird place. Like if we acknowledge the fact that this is well made, Mm. does it mean that we are tacitly supporting what the content Mm. is, you know? Anyway. I'm trying to remember, was Wagner a resistor or a sympathizer? Because he kind of falls into that category too, right? Well, he was before he was before World War II, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. His, but he was used by the Nazis. He died in 1883. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay, right, right, right. But yeah, because he was old, but yeah, yeah. Okay, a lot it. of the, It was his music. Well, it was uh, also the ideas. Like there's an opera, he, Percival, that he wrote that um, – Gerbil, Gerbil, Gerbil used Gerbil. as Gerbil. he used as a a model for um, Nazi occult ideas. So they were really into Wagner, but you know mm. he's way dead before. Same with Nietzsche. You know Nietzsche died around the same time, and right, and the right, Nazis right, loved him. Right. Got it. So Zay, how did you guys get plugged into Never Going Back in the first place? Yeah, I mean it's a long. The, the, the common thread between all of these projects is that it's kind of a long tail. Like, you never quite know what's going to come up. The short version is that one of the producers, Toby Halbrooks, who has been buddies with, you know, David Lowry and Augustine and James, uh, you know, David, James, and um, Toby have a company called Sailor Bear, which is kind of the first production company that really produced the movie, along with Augustine, the director, and Liz Cardenas, one of the other producers. Which came first? They, wait, wait, wait. Which came first? I Mama know, Bear? Sailor Bear or and Sailor Bear. Bear. Um, I think maybe Sailor Bear, unfortunately. Uh, I hate to admit it. Uh-oh. I know. It's really awkward. I know. Well, but you know what? It is what it is. Sometimes sometimes you just have to go with it. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bear production. That's what we're going to call it. My but, company, it was a few years late, but Grugel, my company, did not take off. I just could not, I couldn't bounce my way up the SEO bit. <laughs> they just dominated you. Um, anyway, Toby and I, you know, through a couple mutual friends, Sarah Murphy and Barlow Jacobs and a few other people have just kind of known each other for a few years. And I think it was the year Davion was at Sundance. So a year and a half ago, Toby and I were skiing. We just did like a quick half day and we were just hanging out. And, uh, you know, I, I just really liked their work. We had almost helped them out with a ghost story. Um, and it just didn't end up working out because they just did it even smaller than they thought and just quicker and didn't end up needing, you know, extra help. So it didn't work out, which I was really bummed because a ghost story is, is incredible movie that you can watch on iTunes and all, or Amazon. It's actually, I think it's on Amazon prime if you have Amazon prime, but that one has Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara in it. And it's just this beautiful, weird little movie and it was at Sundance the same year as Davion, and I was hanging out with Toby, and I was like, man, I really wish we could work with you guys, because I just think your work is awesome, and I loved, I thought Peach Dragon was really good, and um, 
you know, there's other stuff that they've done that's been great. So I was like, hey, how do we get together? And, you know, there wasn't anything totally like ready to partner up on at that point, but I just kind of stay in touch with Toby. And then a few months later, he was like, hey, you know, we're, we're moving towards production and we'd really love some extra help, you know, financially and with, with production and, and, you know, maybe you guys can, can partner up on this. And I read the script and I just flipped because I've been wanting to do a comedy for, for a long time. I mean, I, that's kind of where my heart and soul is in some ways. And not that I don't love our more dramatic movies, but I just, I haven't, I've read so many low budget comedies that I was just hoping to produce and I just could never, I never liked the scripts enough. So I just, we just never did it. And, um, I read this one. I was like, this is great. Like it's actually freaking hilarious. I love the people that are involved. Um, Augustine actually, one funny story about that I'll keep very brief because she can tell it, you know, in more depth later, but one kind of funny story, she actually made the whole movie already. This is the second time she made the movie. She made the entire movie like two years ago and frankly just didn't like it (laughs) when she made it. So she cut it down into a very funny short that played South by. And then she developed the script further with Sailor Bear and that, and that, changed better version of the movie is is what's out now that's crazy so i kind of love the story and i loved that it's this really goofy absurd different take on the teen comedy it's not like a rich white suburban you know it's like these two girls who are broke and their parents are gone and like it's just a completely different take but it's also super funny and oh by the way it's loosely based on her life i was like that's how could i ever pass that up and so we just kind of started giving them some notes and racing towards production and and we were super privileged to even be a part of it that's sick i mean sometimes you do have to scrap stuff and just start over right i mean it happened with 100 it's happened to us already it happened you know with my first two kids scrap it start over i got two new ones ready to rock (laughs) that is is that funny i can't tell oh it's funny i got i got you went you're a christian school kid like me aren't you oh yeah oh Oh, baby yeah i just want to read just one, this kind of ties back into Riefenstahl, mm-hmm. maybe something. Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> just, you know, tell me what you think about this. Mm-hmm. Never going, not going, go in. Never going back is a gross-out comedy that pulls no punches, foul expulsions, captured by the eye of a filmmaker who sees art in churning stomachs. We better appreciate what Frizzle achieves using a palette of misbehavior and a script peppered with bad language precisely because she gives us more to hang on to than the cheap shock of watching two girls, one cup's big screen cousin. Say what? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is way overstated. Whoa, Uh, which goes a long way. way overstated. Let me continue. Which goes a long way when the object of the exercise is raunch and payoff is made in vomit and order. What is this word? O-R-D-U-R-E. This, Ordure? This guy. Who Hold the phone here, Ray Crump. Who, wait, wait, which review is this? This which is from is Polygon, which is a website oh, that geez. started two Let, and a half weeks ago. Let's read a mainline publication that, here. Come on. Get the New York Times or oh, LA Times review Oh, wait a second. What does this say? Okay, we got, a, we got a review from the LA Times here. Female bonding and social commentary swapped sweat in wild, raunchy comedy. Never going back. I have some words about this. I actually went on an Instagram rant the other day. But I, I we need to do the mail. Oh, no. So why don't we do the mail, and then we'll come back, and we'll, and we'll really dive 
ass first into these uh these reviews yeah totally. what i think, think what, yeah it's exactly what happens when uh lenny riefenstahl's granddaughter they come to her and like hey what do you, what's your comment about these uh, movies your grandma made hey let's do the mail let's see what's in the oven <laughs> i'm uh, <laughs> are you saying i'm trying to avoid a difficult subject i'm just i'm seeing a lot of reviews talking about how naughty this movie is but yeah let's get to the mail what's up all right, I want to talk about how naughty it is. We just got to do the mail, and then we'll finish the episode with a with a convo. Oh, we'll baby. Chat. Um, you know, actually, so John, I got some really disappointing news. Actually, oh no, we got no submissions <laughs> on your head in the box question. Zero, zero curiosity, zero guesses. We have. I've been getting blown up. We've got tons of ratings. Right. Speaking of which. I want to just, this is a little PSA. If you are still listening to this show, if you have made it all the way through four and a half episodes and you have not given us, written us a a one word, one sentence, one paragraph, I don't care, review, I want you, I, it's, I'm thrilled that you're still listening, but pause the show right now, pause the show and just go into your Apple podcast app or Google, whichever, and just write like, just say like, this this show is great, or I'm bored, or I don't care. Just let us know what you think, because the you giving us a rating, and if you like it, tell us you like it and tell us why. But seriously, you can do it in under 10 words if you want. I don't even care. But this is how we actually get seen by more people. And granted, I'm down to make this show for Teddy Bronson in, in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Are you as well, John? Yo, Ted. What's up, babe? If if Teddy's our only listener forever, that's fine. But he's not our only listener. And I know there's people out there who are actually listening to this show. Write us a review because it's how we find more people. I'm sorry to be annoying. I'm sorry to pander. But you know what? You got to do it. I got another gotta do it. quick PSA for us. And it's about your PSA, mm-hmm. guys, your prostate-specific antigen levels. Go get your prostate checked, guys. Stay healthy. 2018, baby. Come on. Let's, let's finish strong. Thanks, John. That was really really important we got the susan g Komen foundation go get a doctor to put their finger up your butt asap get those levels checked guys come on now yeah every guy over 40 is nodding silently right now all right john i do want to know what was in the box since no one guessed screw that you know here's part of the problem a lot of people just started listening to the show last week when we launched so they haven't caught up so we could delay it we could delay it or we could just tell them it's up to you. I want It's your secret. I want to delay it. If if I don't, if somebody doesn't okay. want to know, I'm not going to tell them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell mm-hmm. them. Okay. And when you find out, you'll wish you hadn't known. But mm. okay. okay, so we're going to delay it another week for sure. I'm not going to. I'm not going to at least another week. Cast my pearls before this swine. Mm-hmm. If they don't want it, they don't get it. Mm. Perfect. Okay. Good. 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 Well. Oh, and speaking of writing a review, I think now is a great time to remind people: if you write a review before August 27th, you got plenty of time. You will have your name. Put into something ranging in size from a yarmulke to an Abe Lincoln hat, or possibly a bucket, depending on how many people submit. You got high hopes, baby. And possibly get drawn for a, uh, for a, 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 I guess we'll do it that way, t-shirt. So you got nothing to lose, guys. Pause the episode, write a quick review. We'll see you when you come back. If somebody does this, if somebody asks, and you get picked... I will have Zay ship the shirt to my house. I will take mm-hmm. my cat. I will dip the cat's paws in ink. <sighs> I will press it on the front or back of the shirt if you want. And you can get a little signed shirt from the unnamed cat. I love that. 
Come on, people. John, that's the best idea you've ever had. Okay, perfect. All right, the, John just sweetened the deal big time. Dangski. This cat will not be alive for long. This is a limited edition. It might not even happen. I mean, the cat might yeah. croak. The other night, we're sitting at, at the table, and uh, we heard some scratching outside. And on, mm-hmm. a, on a ledge that is like two and a half millimeters wide, this cat was perched so precariously. Mm. And it... I looked out the window, it let out a yelp, and it fell like 15 feet to the ground, dude. Oh my gosh. Cats are crazy. He's got like four and a half lives left after that. That's insane. Poor guy. He's okay. He was totally... People are freaking out right now. My mom is freaking out listening to this. Mom, the cat's fine. Yeah, the cat's fine. And you know what? Even if she's not, you didn't put her on the ledge. We're all mortal. We're all going to go. Yeah. Sooner or later. Might as well be sooner. So we got no um, mail. We got zero mail. Well, we got we did no no no. We did get a piece of mail. Just none one mail. related to me. None okay, related great. to the box. Yeah. Um we got one letter from uh Arnie Warren, good friend of mine from growing up. Of course, all of our first letters are gonna be friends. Let's not pretend it's fine. Arnie, you're our not my friend, okay? Listen up, buddy. We're not friends. So Arnie, and actually it's funny how this ties into this episode. Arnie's question. Arnie lives in Maryland. He's in the Navy. He's a pilot, actually. He flies, uh, they're called P-8s. They're like uh, basically the military version of a 737. Arnie of Maryland wrote, In your last episode, you guys talked about misbehaving in your youth. Is it true that Isaiah was once arrested? John, what do you think? I think think Arnie knows exactly what the answer is, but he might just be trying to stir the pot. Arnie, loose lips sink ships, my friends. You would think he would have learned that at the Naval Academy. I'm going to say the chances of this coming up and you not being arrested are zero. <laughs> I think that's a very fair assumption. So I feel like you got a story to tell us. <laughs> All right. I have a little bit of a story. Thank you, Arnie, for bringing this up. It'll lead right into uh, the misbehavings of our youth conversation that we were already planning on having about never going back. Um, okay, here's the short version. When I was about 11 years old, I was, this is so embarrassing. I actually, now that this story is coming up, I'm like, this is the most embarrassing story I can possibly imagine. All right. Hey, I grew up in, you in, edit the in podcast. Baltimore. You make the calls here, my friend. I know. It's true. No, I got to leave it in. I, I We're talking, this whole show hinges on vulnerability. Um, no, it's just dumb. I was about 11 years old and my friend Terrell, Terrell Johnson, if you're listening, I love you. He lives in Atlanta now. We were, we, we, uh, I don't know why we thought it would be fun to smoke pretzels. We were smoking pretzels, like pretzel sticks. Did you hear the we record scratch at my house? Brr, say what? <laughs> we, we were just like, we thought it was cool. We were like 10 years old. I think we were 10, not 11. Or I was 10, he was maybe 11. You didn't inhale, did you? I don't think so. Okay. I, they were these big, thick sourdough pretzels. Sure. I'm guessing Snyder's of Hanover or something. Or were they menthol? Yeah. <laughs> They, well, we did. We chose not to crush them. Oh, there you, you go. Know? There you go. Yeah, no, they were just regular, regular wheat sourdough pretzels. Um, we were trying and failing, I might add, to smoke pretzels because you can't really pretzels don't really burn. Who knew? I think everyone knew that. Well, I didn't as a ten year old. <laughs> well, you were John. ten. We'll Back give you a pass. Off. All right. So we did not get arrested for smoking pretzels. What happened is my dad came out and he was like, "Hey, idiots." You can't smoke pretzels. Stop. Here's some cigarettes. Dumb. Yeah, he was like, here, here's some crack. Do it the right way. 
And I was like, Dad, I don't want crack. You shouldn't be. No, that's not even funny. Parents giving their kids crack is not a funny joke. Inappropriate. Anyway, he said, he said, you can't smoke pretzels, you dum-dums. Go play baseball like normal 10-year-olds. Because our friends were all playing baseball, you know, at the field like six blocks away, five blocks. Anyway. And, um, well, he didn't know that. He just said, can't smoke pretzels in my yard, Sonny. And we were like, yeah, we'll, we'll show him. <laughs> so... We like pretend like we're going over to play baseball at the field, you know, where everybody's playing baseball, and then we keep smoking pretzels. Oh boy! And what happened is, we the baseball field was outside of a school. I really need to expedite this story. Basically, the baseball field was outside of a school, and it's real windy. We're having trouble lighting our pretzels because our pretzels won't light because they're made of uh, dough and they're baked. They they aren't intended to burn, and um. We're trying to light our pretzels. Our matches are going out. We're running out of matches. We haven't gotten our pretzel high yet, you know, which is what we're really after. <laughs> Gluten, baby. Yeah, exactly. And uh, one of us, I, I'm going to go ahead and just say it was probably me because I'm an idiot. I saw a huge, and I cannot over I cannot overstate how big this pile of newspapers was. A huge pile of newspapers, probably 13 feet in diameter, maybe. Oh. Um. Because what happens is that outside the school, this stupid Baltimore Sun or somebody is like, oh, let's donate a bunch. Because I grew up in the interstate. Let's donate some newspapers to some poor kids. And so they just like freaking dump all these newspapers, like thousands of newspapers in front of the school. And then, of course, they just get knocked out of their bundles and just turned into a giant pile of paper that no one knows what to do with. And I'm like, oh, dude, unlimited fuel. You know, we can light our pretzels indefinitely. <laughs> And so I grab some of the newspaper and I pull it over and we're in kind of this picture, a big sort of semi-circular entrance to the school. Can you, can you imagine this? I'm, and the baseball field is about 30 feet away. I'm picturing it perfectly. And I, the, 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 the pile of newspapers is right in the middle of the semi-circular entrance, this, this area. And so I grab some newspapers, I pull them over, I light the newspaper as a torch to light my pretzel. Well, I drop the newspaper. I try to stomp on it. It blows out from underneath my foot, blows 10 feet away, lands right in the middle of a 13-foot-wide pile of thousands of newspapers, and within about one and a half seconds, the entire pile has caught on fire and been picked up by the wind and turned into a column, a tornado of flame and I at this point about one and a half seconds in am weeping because I am seeing my entire life flash before my eyes and so all the kids there's like 40 kids around start stop playing baseball baseball and they're like holy smokes there's like a real fire going on the wind blows all the there's nothing we can do because it's too big the wind blows the newspapers up against the school and just starts melting the doors what? Or whatever. This sounds so. This no. sounds like you're in, uh, like a Smokey the Bear commercial. This doesn't sound it plausible. Was, it was so absurd. The 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 everything happened perfectly wrong. I'm thinking I'm going to burn down the school. I'm going to jail for the rest of my life. I'm so screwed. The fire department shows up. The police show up, and the fire department puts the fire out. All these kids are around. One of my friends, Sean, Sean Price, I think was his name. He like so unhelpful. He like grabs me by the shirt and he's like, "What have you done?" Something to that effect. And he like basically like, and I'm like, "I don't know." 
You know, I'm like, I'm good. my life is over. And I was just like, this is so bad. Anyway, what Steve, long story that's short. What your dad Stevie should have done to you about four hours earlier. Stevie, you listening? Exactly. Come on, man. Yeah, exactly. Dad, you failed me. Anyway, um, to, to breeze through the rest of it, basically – the the real police show up and they're like, wow, this sucks, but obviously an accident. Also, though, you know, it really sucks. This is on school property and technically Baltimore City schools have their own police force and we have to wait for them. Well, Mr. Stupid School Cop Guy, this is not a joke, doesn't show up for three hours. No. It's on a Sunday. I don't know where this dude is. Well, it's a what Sabbath. He's so what so busy with? He's working. He's on the clock. Where is he? It's not, there's not even kids at school. Anyway, a church. He, I'm just sitting there, humiliated, 10-year-old me, Terrell, maybe 11, my parents, a couple of stragglers. I am in handcuffs no. for three hours what? waiting for the police to show up. The, the, the school guy shows up, basically says, yeah, you can take him, leaves. I get booked no, at, at in cuffs. What are you? You're at kidding. a ten or eleven. This is not a joke. Terrell and I get cuffed what? and put in the back of a police cruiser, driven downtown. Who's in the car with and you? Booked. You and me. You and T Money. Terrell and a and a cop. No. Was your dad behind yeah. you following? They. I. I don't remember them following your dad, us, actually. Your dad put I know a baseball cap on and walked away like, I don't know who that kid was. St- Steve, if I'm remembering this wrong, please correct me for the record, but I don't remember them coming to the station with me. Say, so zoo, we, never heard of him. We, we get to the station. They're pissed, obviously, but they also are like, this is clearly a, uh, an accident. Sure. Anyway, the cop, thankfully, the cop was, was, was pretty understanding, but you know he's got to do what he's got to do. So we get taken to the station. We get put in like a holding cell for a couple hours. Then they do our prints. We do mug shots. This lady's just like manhandling my hand to like, you know, the, 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 the whole print thing. It's, it's absurd. You know, my hand, I don't even think my hand was like big enough at that point to work with the form that they had. You know, it was just like, what am I even they doing? They didn't take here? you to they a take juvenile shots. place, like a juvenile detention? No, we were in a, we were in a city police station holding area, what? like a jail. With like murder. Yeah, it was crazy. No, there weren't any murderers around. The only other guy in there was a teenager. But it was not a juvenile facility. It was just straight up like a small little thing. And um, most of the time, honestly, we were sitting at the cop's desk filling out paperwork, giving our statements, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, and, and somewhat in the in the cell. But then we sort of started to figure out like, yeah, you know what? We're not going to jail for the rest of our lives. And so we kind of loosen up like, you know, it's like 9 p.m. We're tired. We're getting kind of loopy, kind of goofy. We start joking around. And then this other cop walks over because he sees us having too much fun. And he, and he just cusses us out. And he's like, you little pieces of shit. You better, you know, and he just starts yelling at us. He's like, I'll make sure you're in juvie till you're 18. You little blah, blah, blah. He's like, starts going all off on us. And we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that was some outlasted. And then the other cop comes over. He's like, that guy's a dick. Don't worry about it. And then. I thought he was going to say, hey, your dad put me up to that. I'm just trying to scare you guys straight. Sorry. Scare straight. No, I, I don't think he really. We were scared shitless. <laughs> and we just were like trying to make the most of it. Anyway, finally, our parents come pick us up. It's grim. I mean, they are not happy. And this place, and my memory of it, is this shitty, like, probably built in, like, 1873 stone castle police station. That's how I have it in my memory. It was like a gothic vampire lair. I mean, this place was dark. 
And um, anyway, we get picked up. I get grounded for a month. I'm like not allowed to see, be out of my parents' sight for a month, which could have been worse. And then we go to our court date. So we have a court date at like a juvenile court and um, no one showed up. <laughs> the cop didn't show up and the judge was like, the cop, the, the cop who arrested us didn't show up. The cop who worked for the school didn't show up. No one from the school system showed up. So the judge was just like, all right, there's no testimonies. Uh, you have to pay to fix the doors, and that's it. And that was the end Whoa. of it. And I never oh. never had, like, a record or anything. Is it that easy to get out of a crime? If, like, some cop is too lazy to show up, you get out of in this case, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. A good thing nobody's ever heard of paper and pen to write a statement down and read it in court. Like I know. what? I know. I know. It was crazy. No one cared. They just let us but go. But how? Thankfully, you guys I mean, were thankfully. still probably completely bonked though from those pretzels, right? Oh yeah. I mean, that's what do you think we were doing in the cell? You know, we snuck some in in our and uh, <laughs> you're just seeing we dough were, falling we were, from the ceiling and running. We were running a little business, if you know oh, what I mean. Boy. Pretzel boys. Uh, that is hard to believe. So <laughs> that's what we called our. That's what we called our gang, the Pretzel Boys. They're like, what's? They're like, what's your name? I'm like Pretzel Boy, and they're like, no, no, no. What's your given name? Pretzel Boy Smallman, motherfucker. You heard me. If you went to the courthouse right now, do you have a record? No. What happened? Nope. How did that? I don't even know if I had a record after the fact. I didn't check, and my parents were like, we're not going to check either because we don't want this loophole to be discovered. But. Either way, it would have right. been expunged when I turned 18 True. because it wasn't like a serious felony or anything. I, I cannot believe that you got handcuffed and put in a car. That seems nuts to me. Isn't that insane? I was an 11-year-old. It's completely nuts. Maybe 10. I think I was 10. I burned yeah. down an entire structure by accident when I was a kid. Really? And did not get arrested. What happened? I was playing with fireworks in my grandparents' detached garage, and I, like a good boy, picked up all of the mm -hmm. bottle rockets that I had shot in the garage, mm -hmm. picked them right. all up, tossed them in a garbage can like a respectful young dude and it caught fire and burned the place down and uh you wait, 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 wait let's back up you were lighting off bottle rockets in the garage my, so this is up in jersey my, that seems inadvisable well it was a big garage um mm -hmm. there was a pool table in it there were like bedrooms upstairs or like a bed oh like bed upstairs no. yeah, it was sick dude it was sick well yeah until you burned it down it was sick until i i arsoned it arsoned it wow so i burned the place to not to the ground but you know gutted it basically and um you know new fire in new jersey fireworks are illegal Whoa. and i i stood there with like the chief of the fire department and who my dad was friends with at the time wow they went to church they went to church together oh good basically nothing <laughs> happened nothing happened I had to go to... That's called privilege. It is, absolutely. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I mean, we, we are both incredibly privileged. Yeah, I mean, basically they did what cops used to do, and that is they looked at mm -hmm. the situation and they said, oh, this was very clearly an accident. Mm -hmm. He didn't mean right. to do this. An honest accident. It wasn't honest. Like, I mean, it was a you foolish... You were cleaning up, you know? Yeah, it was, it was foolish, foolish, but you were cleaning up. It's right. not even like you were like, ah, but a light of fire in the garage. Right. Right. You know, it right. wasn't even that, which would still be an accident because you're a kid. Right, exactly. I forget how old I was. I was in seventh grade, whatever age that is, um, 13 maybe. And uh, yeah, basically nothing happened. I had to go to... Uh, fire prevention class mm -hmm. and the guy asked me all sorts of intimate questions about my relationship mm. to fire mm, which like if you're a weird pyro guy yeah 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 exactly so he's asking me at 13 like if i'm aroused when i see fires and if i um if i have dreams of a sexual nature about fire 
things like that. Hmm. And the guy looked at me and my dad, and, and this this place we're in in New Jersey has like a poster on the wall. This guy being Bruce Springsteen. This guy. <laughs> It was a Saturday, so yeah, Bruce was there. Uh, so there's a poster. <laughs> he only comes in once a week now. There's a poster on the wall that's a picture of a house that's completely burned down, right, in the background. And in the foreground, oh wow, this is actually a meme. It's I don't know if it's the exact same picture, but a similar picture of like a young girl standing in the foreground, and in the background there's a building on fire, right? Wow. And this guy had an actual poster in his trailer, the fire trailer, and it was a girl standing there looking sad, and it said, Curiosity killed the cat, my mom Whoa. and dad. Curiosity killed oh. the cat and my mom and dad. That's too much. So dark, dude. Whoa, that's too much. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that is too much. Three years later, when I burned down the kindergarten and I had to go back, just kidding. <laughs> Wow. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm not laughing at that joke. I'm laughing at the fact that you made it. The uh, Yeah, the fire prevention class, the oh guy looked word. me dead in the eye, and he, he realized, you know, after about like four of these questions, when I was just like, what? No, 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 no. Mm. He was like, you know what, we could probably skip this. And mm. so we sat around and talked about like the Phillies or something. But yeah, no, no yeah. jail, no jail for me. Yeah, that's how the justice system, it needs to be very intent driven. You know, like we need to be getting to the bottom whenever possible of like, because most dude, you know what? All right, this is the perfect lead back into never going back. Kids are kids, man. You know, and some of these reviews of the movie, like whatever, this LA Times review is is positive. So that's great. But female bonding and social commentary. Great. That is very true. It's not just, you know, the movie is much more than just like some kids doing stupid shit. But Swap Sweat in wild, raunchy comedy. Why you gotta put raunchy in the title of your review? It's not even that bad. And and the guy on what's it we call it, calling it the two girls, one cup, that's absurd. It's not even a tenth like it's not even in the same universe as that. And and I the okay, the Instagram rant rant that I went on, it was all about how it bugs the crap out of me that people watch the trailer, which obviously I'll post in the show notes, or you can just look it up on YouTube. You know, they watch the trailer for this movie, which is, yeah, it's gross, okay? Like, there's potty humor. There's barely, there's not even really nudity in the whole thing. And they're like, oh, these, you know, a lot of the reviews are like, oh, these irresponsible girls who, like, do drugs and do all this stupid shit. Well, but what they're overlooking is they're 16-year-olds. Where are their parents? You know, it's not that they're not responsible, but, like, they're 16-year-olds trying to survive on their own. And all you can take away from this question from this movie is, oh man, they're so wild and crazy. And it's like, what would you do if you were a 16-year-old living in a house with your 21-year-old brother who didn't give a shit? You know? I'll tell you that I suspect it's about clicks, right? The movie? No, no, no. The this guy, Andy. Crump or whatever his name is who wrote this mm-hmm. Polygon review. Partly it's mm-hmm. about the clicks. Like if you saw, if you've got Purian interests and you saw raunchy film with two girls on the front, somebody's clicking on that just because it says that. Sure. He's generating clicks. And, and, and you he, know what? That's honestly a little bit how it's being marketed. For shame. Yeah, man, it's funny, 
but it's freaking sad, you know, like Augustine had a very hard life as a teenager, you know, and like, thankfully, thankfully, she made some really good decisions and had a few people in her life, I guess, who kind of helped her turn around. But like a lot of people don't. And, you know, why do we automatically, I mean, even in the movie, and I don't want to spoil too much, but like even in the movie, the whole plot centers around them trying to do the right thing and everyone else. So this is not giving too much away. One of the very first things that sets the whole story in motion is her stupid brother has a drug deal that goes wrong. The guy that they owe money to comes and breaks into their house and steals their TV. And then the girls who were not involved in the robbery get arrested because the cops come to the house and find pot in their bedroom. So that sort of sets the whole thing in motion. And the, the, the thing that people in their reviews, and I need to find this variety review, which again, very positive review, but I feel like you kind of missed the point. People are like, oh, like they're just so irresponsible and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, they didn't do anything that bad. Okay, great. They have pot in their house, whatever. And they, got, they went to jail for it. Fine. I guess they're responsible for that. But also the whole point, the whole thing that makes it funny is that they're they didn't do anything for this dumb dumb to come rob their rob them and steal their TV, which actually, by the way, is something that happened to Augustine, which I just think is hysterical. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. I I, I think the other thing that kind of got me worked up is just this whole idea that like girls being gross is somehow worse than guys being gross. You know, I argued with a number of people like because I got some opinions about whether or not this was a good project, you know, for us to do because I felt strongly about it. But I always try to talk to other people before I sort of make decisions. And a couple people are like, oh, it's just so gross and it's so needlessly, you know, raunchy and weird. And and I was just like, you know, hey, I know you like the movie Superbad. You know, I know you like the movie Dumb and Dumber. And those movies are disgusting, but it's dudes. You know, it's guys being gross. And somehow that's less of a problem than girls being gross. I think there's something weird about that. This is definitely a cultural double standard. I mean, it's also like why I think it is without a doubt. I mean, it's why we think it's funny when kids curse, why it's like shocking and people acting against type. The type is has been for a long time that girls are dainty and proper, et cetera, et cetera. So it is sort of shocking to see a girl like take a dump or whatever I assume happens in this movie that everyone's so mad right. about. And, and I, you know what? I'm fine with being divisive. And here's the thing. If you just don't find movies involving drugs or potty humor funny, period, fine. That's totally, totally your prerogative. But if you think it's funny for guys to be gross, but then when two 16-year-old girls are gross and and like – have some ambiguous sort of issues that like they do drugs sometimes and get arrested and blah, 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 blah. And you somehow think that's worse consciously or subconsciously. I have a problem with that. You know, I agree. I, you know, come on, people grow up. Girls takes dumps. You know, what's the, what's the big deal? Well, that's enough ranting for me. But speaking of, uh, speaking of burning things down, I have another story, which I'll overrun oh, in low on time. So I'll have to save it. Oh, but no. involving Sundance film festival and a fire. <laughs> And almost dying. A literal fire so or just a gonna, metaphorical fire? A literal fire and me literally being very close to dying. This is not a joke. I cannot wait to tell all of you one day, but I'm going to hold you on the edge of your seat for now. But I almost died at Sundance. Let's stop with that. That's a, such a great way. to. They, I'm going to put that on my tombstone even if I don't die at Sundance. I'm going to make some t-shirts. I almost died at Sundance. I nearly burned to death at a festival. John, this has been a hoot. As Time always. just flew by. I know, as always. I'm really pumped about our next episode. Um, 
idea well i hope it's our next episode we'll see how the scheduling works out but we are going to watch the new mission impossible movie and talk about it with uncle nate drexler also you know i've got some old um garage fire related legal trouble i would love nate to take a look at it if he could oh yeah you're still i'm trying to get my record in jersey expunged Mm, yeah because you want to move back well you know come on i'm sure judge bruce would uh be understanding but it just depends on if he's sitting on the bench that day he knows how i feel about him in the e street band there's no way he's gonna give me a pass next week next week we're talking about mission impossible or something else if we don't get to the movies in time oh i'm going i'm taking Um, my lady friend to a to a movie we're gonna do this night night, oh this is gonna be a hoot oh my gosh i cannot wait all right, John, well, it's been great. Yeah, man. Um, We're going to smoke some pretzels. Oh, yeah. Bring your pretzels to the theater. No one will notice. Um, I'm going to end the episode with uh, one of my favorite songs from the Never Going Back soundtrack. Check it out on Spotify. Never Going Back. It should be in a theater near you sometime in the next few weeks. And uh, check me out on Instagram if you want to get more updates at Zay Smallman. As always, hit us up at the show at That Way Pod on Twitter or thatway.fm. You can email us. We want to hear from you. And remember, if you write us a review, it's not too late until August 27th. If you write us a review on iTunes or anything else, your name goes in a yarmulke and you might get a free t-shirt out of it with the nameless cat paws signed on it. So pretty exciting. Bingo. See you in a week. See you, John. Thank you so much for tuning in for episode five of I Guess We'll Do It That Way. Join us next week when we talk about Mission Impossible Fallout with the biggest Tom Cruise fan on the planet, sports expert and law school student, Uncle Nate. That is, if we don't accidentally burn down our houses before then. Today's show was produced and edited by Isaiah Smallman, executive producer John Shimp. Intro music is Explode by Sarah Jaffe. Outro music is Slow Pour, also by Sarah Jaffe. The song coming up after this is another Never Going Back favorite, Fire by The Young Angry. Check out the whole soundtrack on Spotify. Our cover art was designed by Nate Giordano. This has been a production of Mama Bear Studios.
Sjöbo!